We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with one of my favorite people who is... I am Robin Jones-Gunn, and Cheryl's one of my favorite people. That works out nicely, doesn't it? It does. I think it's because we both love stories, especially true stories. And we were both saying, what a crazy week we've both had, but we don't want to miss this chance to come and talk story, as they say in Hawaii, to to give to you, our beautiful listeners, these stories about women that are so inspiring and encouraging, because when we have those difficult days, we need to hear from these other women how they trusted God in big ways and how he delivered and provided everything they needed. You know, there's a lot of talk today about how hard it is to live in somebody's shadow. You know, mm. there's all this, you know, oh, let's let's feel for the person who has to live in the shadow of somebody else. And, you know, I always lived in the shadow of my father, but I kind of liked it, you know, or the shadow of my <laughs> <That's> mom. <convenient. laughs> yes. But this woman always lived in the shadow of her more famous sister-in-law, but she never minded it. This woman is known as Colleen Elliott, Colleen Norma Elliott, and she was the sister-in-law to Elizabeth Elliott. So she married Jim Elliott's brother, Bert Elliott. And we'll get into that a little bit, but I I want to talk about Colleen because uh, she's the one that kind of goes unnoticed, unregistered, and yet her contribution to the work of the Lord and her dedication to the Lord and her love for her husband is is the thing that legends are made out of. Mm. It's just beautiful. So she was born July 5th, 1928 to Fred and Catherine, who went by Kate uh, Collison. And I like that because she's just a year younger than my mom. She was the middle girl. Her sister, Patricia, was born in 1926 and her younger sister, Joan, in 1931. Her father was an accountant and never learned to drive. They lived up in Oregon, and he never learned to drive. He worked for 45 years for Pacific Power and Light. Her mother was one of 10 children and had to quit school after eighth grade. However, she picked up skills typing and shorthand. And during World War II, because they had to hire women, it was the first time the job market actually got you know, opened up to women in the United States. She was hired to edit and print training manuals for building ships. So you know she's brilliant, right? Yes, yes, yes. And at that time, she also learned to run a mimeograph machine. And this launched her career as a printer and proofreader working for various companies for the rest of her life. Cheryl, I remember mimeograph machines. Me too. (laughs) I remember uh, my dad doing the bulletins. Yes. And I got to turn it. You know, yes. it was to print off all the bulletins. And those were the days when the bulletin was printed at our house. <laughs> oh, I have lived. Uh, yes. So Col- Colleen, get this, was a 12-pound baby. 12 pounds. That's so unusual, especially for that time. You Isn't hear about it? it now more with all the vitamins and everything. But Yeah, wow. and she was born with blonde hair and big blue eyes. But she never thought she was very pretty. She always thought her mm. sisters were the beauty of the family. As a young girl, she and her family would spend eight weeks during the summer living in a chicken coop, equipped with a stove and a few beds. And they would do this um, to earn extra money 
and they would pick strawberries, boysenberries, young berries, loganberries, raspberries, and black caps. Oh, the richness of Oregon. That's right, which are actually yes. black raspberries. Um, she actually loved that time of year. You know, they would move out of their house. They would rent their house out for eight weeks, and they would go and they would uh, live. And the father would visit them, but he had to take the bus to visit them because he didn't drive. Right. She also loved to go to Ocean Park, Washington, um, because her grandmother owned a small cabin there that did not have any indoor plumbing. So mm-hmm. once they got there, they had to prime the water, and they had to clear a new path to the outhouse that was behind. Uh, her grandma's house. But she loved that. She loved roughing it. And this is going to become so important as you see her career choice, you know, with her husband. So Colleen, her mom and her sister's lives all revolved around their church, which was called Grace and Truth Gospel Hall. It was a brethren church. uh, She lived 12 blocks from the church And her father refused to go to church, but he didn't forbid his wife or daughters from going. But he just wouldn't go. Ever. Ever. So the Collisons became close friends with another family at the church, the Elliots. Fred and Clara Elliott. And they lived at 7272. And that's what it's called famously. And it was a house that had once belonged to Clara's parents. um, And it was on Mount Tabor in Oregon, um, Portland, Portland, yeah. Oregon. And Mount Tabor, actually, I know right where that is because, mm-hmm. as you know, Western Seminary is very right. close to that area. It's beautiful and green and re- rains nine months of the year. But in that area now, those older and Victorian homes, many have been restored and it's just beautiful, the mature trees. Yep. So I can just picture that. And to walk to that little brother in church, 12 blocks and back, that's... Mm-hmm. And they have quite beautiful. a bit of property, too. Mm. So Fred, her husband, was an itinerant pastor. So this is Bert's um, father. We'll get more into that in a little bit. Fred was an itinerant pastor and an evangelist. Clara was the main breadwinner. She was a chiropractor. So this is a couple that the Collisons are really close to, the Elliott family, and they had three boys, Bob, born in 1921, Herbert, or Bert Ironside Elliott, born in 1924, Jim Elliott, born in 1927, and then they had a girl, Jane, born in 1932. And the Elliots would often give the Collisons rights to church because it's, you know, three girls and the mom and the father won't go. So Colleen was 10 when she first met Bert, who was then 14. Bert went to Benson Polytechnic High School. He had a natural aptitude toward mechanics. He graduated in 1943. When Bert was 12, he was trapped between two bales of hay and sure he was going to die. I can't remember the whole situation. And his father had a straight talk with him after this incident. And Bert gave his life to the Lord. And the dad, as I said, he uh, was an itinerant evangelist, and he used to travel with um, Ironside. Oh, that's where that middle name came from. Mm -hmm. So um, as a teenager, Bert remembers throwing a piece of wood in the fire at his house at a fire pit and praying, Lord, let me burn for you like this piece of wood. Meanwhile, Colleen and her sisters took piano lessons. Her sister Kate cleaned houses to earn enough money so they could buy a used piano for their house. Colleen excelled at piano and was chosen for a citywide recital. Halfway through her composition, she stopped and said, I forgot. (laughs) 
That's then, honest. Yes. Um, her mother and sisters, she looked over and their heads were bowed. But she looked at the judges and they were all laughing. So she said, oh, I remember now. She went back to the beginning and played the whole um, piece flawlessly. Prayer and answered. She, yes. She came in third at this competition, which mm. was statewide. As a child, she was a voracious reader. At that time, the library restricted people to checking out no more than three books, and they could only visit the library every two weeks. Well, that's torture. Isn't it? (laughs) And that was super torturous for uh, Colleen. She was super frustrated, but she was right there every two weeks with her three books, ready to turn in and get three more. She was an honor student in high school, and many kids attested to her inspirational Christianity. She sang in an a cappella choir of 75 people at her high school, and she was given the nickname Old Percy for her perseverance. And she even would refer to herself as Old Percy. She gave her life to Jesus as a young girl, and this is what she wrote. I dedicated my life to the Lord because in that time, we had many missionaries visiting in the church, and I loved it. I loved to read missionary biographies and also about pioneers. And when the Lord sent us to the jungle, I said, this is what the Lord has been preparing me to do, to live a simple life. I was very interested, and I believe this is why he fixed the vision in me, because I was not the prettiest of young girls, but I liked to be in the open air for street preaching excursions, and I enjoyed going to the jail for evangelistic visits. So you can already see her temperament. But here's a question. I'm sure you've seen pictures of her. Why would she have labeled herself so openly as not being the prettiest? And Her sisters are gorgeous. Ah. When you see the picture of all three of them, you're like, oh, right. She was kind of tall and skinny, and um, her sisters, and she wore glasses, and her sisters on each side of her were just, they were knockouts. And you could see, and they were petite, and she was five foot ten. But on her own, probably no one would have thought, no, you're the least. Well, but she Bert lined didn't up think she was she, the least. Yep, yes. No. In fact, at um, years later, um, when she was in her 60s, he would comment, isn't she just the prettiest thing you've ever seen? Oh, good for him. I know. <laughs> so it was a Bible conference in 1946 that Bert, who was 22 at the time, and Colleen, 18, first professed their love for each other. The conference was at Thanksgiving in Oakland, California. Bert asked Colleen if she would be willing to marry him. She immediately responded, yes. She said she probably should have hesitated a bit, but she had just admired Bert for so long that she was so excited that this enthusiastic yes just came out. Well, she'd known him since she was, what, 13 or 14? So, yeah. Since she was 10. Oh, 10. He was 14. He's the older one. After that, they had an understanding, but they weren't officially engaged. Bert told Colleen, When I looked for a woman to marry, I looked for a woman who loved God. I began to notice the girls who went to the open-air preaching meetings. I don't know if they noticed, but the good material was there. (laughs) And furthermore, Colleen played the piano, and it was the music that helped our work. Colleen, as I mentioned, had always admired Bert, but she never thought someone of Bert's caliber would notice her. Their courtship lasted over two years, and during those two years, Bert and Colleen trained for the mission field separately. Colleen went to School of Missionary Medicine at Biola. It was a one-year program that trained students in tropical medicine and dentistry uh, for mission work. 
Admission required a college-level Bible degree, and Colleen had just graduated from high school. But Grace and Truth Church sent um, quite a few letters of endorsement, and Colleen was accepted. She had also, while in high school, attended the Brethren Assembly's Bible School, not thinking that meant anything but just she was going to grow in her faith. And they accepted that as a diploma for her uh, Bible literacy. Nothing's wasted, is it? No, no. Meanwhile, Bert and his father, Fred, Bert went on an itinerary trip with his father through Arizona and Utah. Um, They traveled back and forth. Their car even broke down. And letters were flying between Bert and Colleen at this time, just their profession of love and interest in each other. But during this time, Bert also wrote another letter, which was a little disconcerting if I was Colleen. He told Colleen, or he confessed to Colleen, that he had become attracted to another woman while on the road named Louise. He wrote Colleen, and told her of this attraction and how in the end he had chosen Colleen. Can you? Oh, well, Bert, you could have just kept that to yourself. I would think so. <laughs> but maybe that shows his temperament and his personality that there's just full disclosure. Let's not hide anything. Exactly. Just honesty be is the best policy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, when Bert was actually in high school and towards his senior year, he'd started a trash collecting business. And uh, he became like the dumpster patrol. He became a trash man and started himself and employed his brothers. And they would go collect all the um, trash because they didn't used to have like garbage pickup in those days. So they did it. Really? And that's how he supported himself and was able to put money aside for mm. uh, college and later linguistic school was that money that he earned. And it helped out his parents, too, because, as you know, his mom was the only one who was working. And also what happened is he and his brothers would spy things in his neighbor's trash, like furniture or appliances. And Bert was so good with mechanics and with his hands that he would fix those items up and sell them on the side or help furnish, you know, his parents' house. Bonus. I know. So Bert had a brief visit after his Arizona time with Colleen in Los Angeles before returning to Oregon to attend Multnomah School of the Bible. Um, there at school, again, he's very enterprising, right? He earned money by cutting hair at 50 cents per haircut. Um, In one letter from school, Colleen wrote him, The Lord has been bringing before my mind so much of late the fact that he is coming again for his own. I found, as I examine my own heart in the light of what he has been showing me from his word, that I... Down deep in my heart was hoping that he would delay his coming at least until I had the privilege of being married to you for a short time anyway. Isn't that awful, darling? But it's the truth. And I had to get down on my knees before the Lord and ask him um, to take away that selfish desire and keep me ever looking unto him and hasting unto his appearing. Have I an object below which would defer thy coming, Lord? Is that so sweet? Oh, again, I remember praying a little that, honesty. I know. I remember praying the Lord would tarry till I got my driver's license. Well, yeah, when we were in high school, it was such the talk and the it was. signs here and there. And there, a lot of us in that group had that sense. How, how much life will we do of the normal exactly. things? Should I really plan yes. to graduate college or not? That's right. Yep, I had all those. Yep. So Bert and Colleen felt called, even at this time, to Peru. Um, 
before which they decided to attend Wycliffe's formal language training school. So this is why he's at Multnomah and Biola. They're making these decisions and they're deciding through their correspondence. And the courses would begin in mid-June. Colleen wasn't finished with school until the beginning of June. So she had like days. But they decided um, that they needed to go to two different schools. Really? Because they were afraid that they'd be distracted if they were in the same school. So um, she signed up to go, go to Karenport, Saskatchewan, and Bert signed up to go to Norman, Oklahoma. Um, while Colleen was still at Biola, her favorite part was the hospital visitations and especially working in the maternity ward. That will be important later hmm. while they're in Peru. While Colleen and Bert were doing their language studies, Bert's little brother Jim was at Wheaton. And he wrote to tell him that he had met a young student named Betty that he was quite interested in. Bert and Colleen continued to correspond, and their letters were filled with romance and talk of marriage. Colleen started school just 12 days after graduating from Biola. In the fall of 1948, both Bert and Colleen enrolled at Multnomah. However, they were told they weren't allowed to have a relationship if they were there. They talked to another missionary whose name was um, Neil Weir, who they would eventually be working with. And he said to Bert, you don't need more Bible studies. What you need is a wife. <laughs> so they both dropped out of school and were married on January 29, 1949, on a very cold, snowy day at Grace and Truth Church. And Bert's father, Fred, officiated. At the service, Colleen and Bert sang together uh, a song, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. I'm going to read the words. And they sang it mm -hmm. together in a duet. May the mind of Christ our Savior live in us from day to day by his love and power controlling all we do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in our hearts from house to hour so that all may see us triumph only through his power. May the peace of God our Father rule our lives in everything, that we may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill us as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing. This is the victory. May we run the race before us as we seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. So Bert and Colleen left a week and a half after their That's wedding beautiful. for San Francisco to tell church groups and friends about the work that they would be doing in Peru and to raise support. They returned three weeks later to pack a crate with furniture. They packed 37 crates. And among those, they packed a gas-powered washing machine. <laughs> wow. They returned to San Francisco and boarded the M.S. Grinegar for Peru, the main deck of this Norwegian freighter had room for only eight to 10 passengers to sit outside. And and they loved the voyage to Peru. Um, and when they were um, in Panama, the ship stopped and they, the Elliots were joined uh, by um, another couple for the remaining two weeks of the voyage. From the ship, Colleen and Bert wrote 133 thank you notes. Just shows you how amazing they are. So the couple that joined them was Neil and Genevieve Ware, and they'll be their partners for the first, uh, about the first six years of their ministry in Peru. They'll partner with the Wears. And they, and they knew them a, from Multnomah, so they had that background. Mm -hmm. and, and from the Church of Grace and Truth. Right. A lot of um, 
their connections. I mean, that must have been some some church uh-huh. because it really set the young people on fire for the Lord. They landed at Salivary Port in the city of Trujillo, Peru, on May 28, 1949. They were ferried from the boat to the port. Colleen faithfully wrote descriptive letters home outlining their travels and reactions to everything. Bert and Colleen found that they were taller than most of the Peruvians, and they were stared at quite a bit. Again, Colleen, blonde hair, blue eyed, five foot ten, and she had blonde, blonde hair, not just dirty blonde, blonde, blonde hair. And Bert was six two. They boarded a bus for Trujillo, and Neil immediately had to bargain with the driver in Spanish um, for seats and for the fare uh, because he was trying to overcharge the newcomers. Colleen wrote, we know that this kind of life isn't going to be the easiest one, but we are looking forward with real joy to getting into the work because we believe that this is what the Lord would have us do. We delight to please him. We know he will go before us every step of the way. He has proved that already. At customs, the agents took literally everything apart and out of every single crate and suitcase. Then they had to pay another $200, which would be a little over Mm $2,000 in today's economy to reclaim their items. And Mm. that wasn't the charge. Mm. That was just what you had to pay off the custom agents. Bert marveled at the dishonesty. Um, But that's what you can expect from a Christless society. They began studies at a linguistic training home in Trujillo. Um, There they learned uh, the typography of Peru, the religious practices, superstitions, and culture. Colleen and Genevieve, Genevieve went by Jen, were able to fly to Pulcalpa, a breathtaking two-hour adventure. Now, Pulcalpa is uh, the place where they will be for a while. However, the men had to truck it over all their things, the 37 crates, and plus... um, Jen and Neil's stuff over 700 miles, Mm. traveling to heights at times of 15,807 feet on these incredibly precarious roads. So Pocalpo was in um, the jungle. About this time, they were also introduced to a tiny insect called a sango. It is harmless, but its bite is terribly itchy. They were told that they would become immune within a few months of being there. And they did. The insects just were like, we've had enough of this blood. Let's find something new. Most of their travel had to be done by the way of the river um, to a place called Equitos, uh, where they could pick up their mail and buy limited supplies. They had lived in Peru for six weeks when they received their first letters from home, seven letters in all. Later, they would find out now Equitos is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And it is the largest city that cannot be reached by car. You can only get there by boat. But And that's still true today? Yes. And it's still a terribly, terribly dishonest city. It's like a place for pirates. It's Brian was told about this when he, my husband Brian, when he was in Peru huh. about this city. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And that's uh, where Colleen they went. and Bert were there. They went there before they could get to, um, where they, they went there to buy supplies. So they would take like a, a ferry on the river, mm-hmm. like boats that were going by. And they went to Equitos. It was about two hours from where they lived by boat on the Amazon. 
and there were seven letters waiting for them. Later, they would find out that most of their letters had been stolen and money taken out. So they lived by faith, you know, in their support. Um, Colleen read all the letters out loud, and she got to Bob's letter. He's um, Bert's older brother. And she got a catch in her throat. And she looked at Bert, and they both burst into tears. I think it's just so sweet, this couple that can Mm -hmm. cry together and they can laugh together. Yes. Colleen went by the name Norma, which is her middle name, among the Peruvians, because they were calling her Colina, which means mountain. And she already felt too tall. (laughs) (laughs) So she decided to be Norma. Norma. (laughs) They made their final home in a place called Lagunas um, on July 18th, 1949. It was a three-day boat ride uh, with all 37 crates. um, And they got to uh, the missionary house of the Weirs. Okay, you know, I just when they were leaving, I was thinking they are in it for the long haul. They 37 are seven crates. They're That's going. All they have. But then all I can picture is trying to move those thirty-seven crates on this long journey to get to their destination. And how many times they must have thought, "Do we really need this washing machine? I know. <laughs> or will we be glad that we packed all this and that?" Thirty-seven. I know. When we lived in England, and we would come here, we would pack our suitcases. You know, we would take extra suitcases. Yeah. And the the journey over was miserable. But we were always so excited that we took those extra suitcases mm. because once we got there, it was like, oh, I'm so glad I have these things. So listen to this. They shared the house with the other missionary family. The house was made from packed earth. The bathroom, and this is in the middle of the jungle, was a simple hole in the back of the house among tall grass. And they had to clean up the house and put a partition up immediately. It was super, super dirty because uh, Jen and Neil hadn't been there in a while and it was dirt. But also, walking through the tall grass, they had to watch out for snakes (laughs) on their way to... Wonderful. hmm. So Bert and (laughs) Colleen worked on improving their Spanish, taking lessons two hours a day. And Bert worked on improving the house and building an outhouse as well as other things. They got involved immediately in the church that had been planted there. Colleen played an organ um, that the church had acquired, and she also taught the younger girls, um, ages uh, ages you know under ten, and she had about twenty five to thirty students. Basic sewing, and while they sewed, she liked to tell them Bible stories. She also did medical work. Her first pregnant woman was no more than a child herself, and she was so late. And um, Colleen was so sad because she lost both the child and the mother. Mm. The next pregnancy she treated was successful, and the woman gave birth to a baby boy. Bert and Colleen preferred the jungle to the desert in Trujillo and Lima. This was their breakfast. Breakfast was usually coffee with milk, cereal or eggs, and bread um, bread made with local fruit. I don't know what that was like. Lunch was beans, Hmm. rice, or yucca, boiled bananas, and pachi, a salted dried fish, along with some vegetables and a cup of tea. Soup was always the dinner fare. Veggies included squash, cucumbers, tomatoes, roasted corn, and chicleas, they're like string beans, kawas, a native vegetable like nothing they'd ever eaten before, and eggplant. Fruit was bananas, papayas, uh, Piriba, which was a tart and tasty fruit. Amari, which was a ghastly fruit to Colleen. Guayaba, 
agawaje, barely edible, <laughs> avocado and watermelon, though small and watery, and a thing called cashew apples, which did not resemble uh, cashews or apples. <laughs> Meat was beef, pork, chicken, turtle, and a variety of freshwater fish. Jin Ware, who they stayed with, was a great cook and showed Colleen how to work with the fruits and vegetables available as well as the meat. About this time, Bert also had a bucket in their room to serve as a toilet uh, that they would just empty out until Bert actually built a structure in the back of the house with a water pump, a shower, a washing machine, a generator, and a workbench. Colleen and Bert had many mishaps, but they learned to laugh out loud at all of them. And when they set up the washing machine, the whole village turned out to watch the first load um, and how the washing machine machine. worked. Mm -hmm. What a great way to get people to feel comfortable coming to your place and being friends. Bert and Colleen would keep that washer for over 30 years and even felt a bit guilty when they finally replaced it with a new used one. Mm. After living with the Wares for six months, Bert and Colleen were able to purchase their own home in April of 1950. It cost them $40, about $400 today. But again, it was dirt. So Bert had to build a trench all around it, had to put these blocks up to stabilize it. Originally had four bedrooms. He reduced it to two. And then he built a back porch where they could put their washing machine and a kitchen. Then he made a bathtub from an old gasoline drum, cut it in half long ways, put a hose in the bottom for the water to drain out. He dug a well and put a pump on it so they could have running water in the house. They lived in this house four years while learning the customs and cultures in the jungle. And that's why you see that poly um, tech high school he went to was so much handier than he said, you know, Jim was the intellectual one who could read and, you know, get it all. He never felt very intelligent that way, but he had a real propensity for fixing and building. So we're out of time for part one. And we've got a lot in part two, but so I'm going to have to cram a lot (gasps) into the next session. Well, I will sure look forward to the next part. And just, I love that here's the way that the Lord has worked in their lives to prepare little bit by little bit. Even I'll be the trash collector. Oh, look, I can fix this toaster and mm-hmm. make it serviceable again. Just that training. That's and right. whenever we look back on our lives and see that the Lord's been there, these things Absolutely. that seemed so disconnected to anything else, but you realize, no, he's preparing you. He's training you. His love for us is so faithful. Beautiful. Yes. All right. Listen to us next week for part two. Until then, bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.